talks about dream small. You may have heard it, but just I want you to listen to this because it has a whole lot to do. And the reason that we have to stop that is because we don't have a copyright to put these songs on Facebook. Uh, to get that copyright costs a great amount of dollars. And so we'll just do it without it, do it that part without it being on Facebook. Okay? Have we got it stopped? All those people out in Facebook land heard all of that go on, you see. They didn't? Okay. All right. You, but you got it ready. We can start it again in a minute, right? <laughs> we'll figure it out somehow or another. Go ahead and play it. Y'all listen to this song, though. Don't worry about the Facebook, but just listen to this song. It's a mama singing songs about the Lord. It's a daddy spending family time the world says he cannot afford. These simple moments change the world. It's a pastor at a tiny little church. Forty years of loving on the broken and the hurt. These simple moments change the world. Don't buy the lie, you've got to do it all. Just let Jesus use you where you are, one day at a time. Live well, loving God and others as yourself. Find little ways where only you can help. With His great love, a tiny rock can make a giant fall. Dream small. Dream small. Dream small. 
Testament. You get the message of that song? Think about that. So many times we get our eyes on the big picture and we can't see the small picture. And then there's times that we can't see, comprehend the small picture or the big picture because we're so focused on the little picture. You say, well, what are we supposed to do? Well, we're going to talk about that. In John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, and after these things, the things he's talking about is the the concourse that took place in chapter 5. In chapter 5, Jesus healed a lame man just at a feast, and it was just getting close to the Sabbath when this took place. I don't worry about it, guys. We'll be, we won't be live on Facebook today. We won't worry about it. Okay? Little thing. Amen? Everybody say little things. And Jesus had taught them how that all of these things that He was doing was proving that He's the Son of God. So as we begin in verse six or chapter 6, verse 1, After these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed Him because they saw His signs, which He had performed on those who were diseased. See, one thing you've got to understand about the book of John... The book of John is not necessarily taking Jesus' life day after day or event after event. But what John does in his writing, he pulls out events that help show that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. So this is, this, he was here in Jerusalem and the, the lame man was healed at the pool of Bethesda and then they wanted to come down on Jesus and he began to teach them and help them understand that he is the Son of God. And he had healed, no doubt, during that time, many. If you took all the New Testament, the four Gospels, and put them together, you'll find that there's a time span between the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6 where Jesus did many miracles and wonders. A lot of people were healed of all kinds of diseases and problems that was going on in their life. So these people were following Jesus because of the things that he did. And Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he knew himself what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so that the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and disciples to those sitting down, and likewise with the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, as I told you earlier, I want to talk to you for a little bit about the power of little things. Now, this had been sort of going on in my spirit for some time. 
But it really, really came home to me this past Monday evening at a football game. And as I was sitting there on the bleachers and saw what unfolded in front of me, it just really got into my spirit. And so you might say that this, this message is inspired by God, but it's complemented by an act that Cole Fitzgerald did. Because in that game Monday, even though Faultful lost that game, they're, they're seventh and eighth graders, the only score that Faultful had was scored by the smallest man on the field. And that was Cole. He caught a pass right in the edge of the end zone, and he scored the only points. But you say, well, what's that got to do with anything? Because I sat there and I thought about there was bigger boys. They were, you know, bigger guys on Faultful's team. And no doubt many of them could have scored. But their only score was by the littlest guy on the team. And I thought about how important little things are. And I, I really believe that Cole's going to grow. And Cole's going to be a tremendous football player before he leaves Faultful. I really believe that. And uh, so y'all encourage him to grow, encourage him to eat and Y'all, y'all pray for him. Let's, let's begin to confess that, let's don't confess little coal anymore, okay? Let's confess big coal over him and see him grow and, and become that. Another thing that I, 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 some things that I found as I was looking this week, the, the Niagara Falls, there's a, a bridge that crossed that gorge that was put up, it was begin to be erected in 19, 1848 rather. And how they got that bridge constructed across there, there was a 15-year-old boy from America uh, that his, his name uh, is, was a Holman Walsh. That don't mean nothing. But anyway, this 15-year-old boy from America flew a kite across the Niagara Falls, a kite that he had named Union because he saw it as pulling two countries together. And someone on the other side was able to catch a hold of that string of that kite, pull it down, and tie a heavier string to it. They pulled it back across. Then they tied a heavier string and then a rope until finally they were able to pull a steel cable across that thing to where that workers could begin to get out and construct that bridge across that gorge at Niagara Falls. And you think, well, what's that got to do? That started with a small string that a 15-year-old boy got across that gorge. So little things count. Little things are important. Another thing I found, and, and I'm going to have to read sort of some of this, and this is a little uh, space history, and because some of you won't remember this except through history books, but on April the 4th, 1970, 56 hours into Apollo 13 mission, the astronaut Jack uh, Swigert was asked to, by mission control to stir the oxygen uh, tanks, and within minutes there was an explosion that happened, and a race was on to save the lives of the men on that spacecraft. They were saved; they got back down. But what had happened? Sometime Earth number two oxygen tank that was used in Apollo 13 was originally installed in the Apollo 10 module, but then one day the technicians removed it to make some modifications. And during the procedure, the tank dropped two inches. Two inches. And, but the drop was enough to, to, to jar an internal field line in this. Well, they replaced the tank with an extra one for another one for Apollo 10. But then down the road, this tank 
was installed in Apollo 13, the damaged tank. Now, the oxygen tanks were designed to run on a, off a 28-volt DC power to, to command, uh, power the command and service modules, but a redesign had allowed it to be run off of a 65-volt DC ground power at the Kennedy Space Center. All the components in the tank were upgraded to 65 volts except the heater thermostatic switches, which were overlooked. Now, the switches were designed to open and turn off the heater when the tank temperature reached 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, during the pre-flight test, tank number two, the damaged one showed anomalies and would not empty correctly, and it could have been because of the damaged fill line. The technicians decided to use the heater to boil off excess oxygen in the tank. This required eight hours of the 65-volt DC power. The procedure may have damaged the thermostatic control switches on the heater, which were designed to run off of only 26 volts. Now, the theory is that the switches may have welded shut, allowing the temperature inside the tank to raise to over 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's believed that the high temperature damaged the Teflon insulation on the electrical wires to the power fans within the tank. Apollo 13 blasted off his schedule, but 56 hours into the mission, the power fans were turned on inside the tank. It was a standard procedure called stirring the tanks. The exposed fan wires shorted, caused the Teflon insulation to catch fire. The fire spread along the wires to the electrical conduit in the side of the tank that became compromised and eventually ruptured, causing the oxygen tank to explode. They exploded the other oxygen tank and parts of the interior of the sur service module blew off and one of the bay covers blew off. Now, you say, what does that mean? The next time somebody tells you that little things don't count, remind them of Apollo 13 and how dropping an oxygen tank only two inches almost cost that crew their lives. Now, little things count. Little things are important and we need to realize that. See, little things have a big impact on the bigger picture. So many times we sit in life and we think, well, my life is just not significant. It just seems like I'm not going anywhere. It seems like that I'm not able to accomplish anything, that people, you know, that I'm not making any headway into anything in this life. That's the reason I wanted to play that song. You see, everybody has big dreams. We want things to be bigger and better and different than what they are. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with us. Uh, desiring things to be better in the future than what they are today. But, you know, we've, we're not back to the future yet. We're still, we're still in this day. And, and even though there's a future, we need to get our minds set on October the 14th, 2018, and every day that we live. See, some people say, well, I, I don't know if I'll ever accomplish anything because I'm too young. People may think they're too young. A lot of young people think they're too young to ever do anything at all. But in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 1, listen to what he said. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Let me stop right here and say this. I firmly believe that God has a plan before before a person's born, that plan is in that is instituted once that child is conceived. 
That's the reason I'm so feel have such a strong feeling about uh, against abortion. And I know you can't go out in public and talk that kind of thing now. But I don't care what you can talk in public or not. I'm still against abortion because God has a plan for that child because Jeremiah is not the only one he planned when they were in their mother's womb. I believe that plan applies to every one of us. God has a plan for our life. And then he went ahead and spoke to the, the nation of Israel as adults. And we don't have this down, but you know the verse, Jeremiah 29, 12, that says, I know the plans that I have for you, the thoughts that I have for you, the plans, plans to do you good and to bring and to bless you and bring you to an expected end. So God has a plan for every life. He has a plan for young people's lives. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. You hear that? God's with you. Not just young people. But God's with you regardless of who you are. And we can do the things that we feel in our heart that God has for us to do. Then somebody might say, I'm too old. I'm just too old to make any difference anymore. Well, look at Moses. Moses was 40. He committed murder. He left Egypt, was gone for 40 years. And during this 80-year time, God never spoke to him. God never called him. God never gave him any direction, but at the age 80, God spoke to him and said, I want you to go and, and let my people, and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Folks, I'm telling you, we never get too old for God to use us. We're never too young, and we never get too old. And, and you know, it seems like that our church is growing older all the time. And uh, I, I, want, I want us to work on getting that reversed to where we get more Young people in here, more teens and, and more young adults so that the, the average age of our church will begin to go down and then that way I won't feel so old. Of course, I don't feel old anyway. That's just, I don't know why I said that, but it was just handy, okay? That way Roger won't feel so old, right? <laughs> I pick on Roger. He's the oldest one here today since Ron and Bobby's not here, so I'll pick on Roger. But, and he don't mind it, do you, Roger? Okay, <laughs> little things, you know, little things. So but anyway, as we, you never get too old. You're never too young, remember that, and you're never too old. And, and never have this attitude, I'm just one, what can I do? I'm just one. I don't know anything I can do because I'm just one. And how can there be anything different in my life? I want things different, but I'm just one. What can I do? Well, one can do a whole lot of things if we'll just begin to understand that. Think about uh, how that one person can impact a family. I believe that a godly husband will impact a family regardless of the rest of them. I believe a godly wife will imp impact a family regardless of the rest of them. I believe that a godly parents will impact their children and godly children, just one child, can impact the family and their siblings and, and see things to be altogether different. And, you know, people say, well, you know, we got elections coming up. People say, well, my vote won't matter. Yes, your vote will. Your vote will definitely matter in these elections that's coming up in November. And we think many times they don't, oh, they already got it. No, they haven't. 
No, they have people take that attitude, and then folks that we don't want get elected because people don't vote. Your one vote counts just as much as anybody else's one vote counts. And you think, well, all I'm doing is counseling out somebody else's vote. But let me tell you, that's okay. Because if your vote counsels out somebody else's vote that's voted for the wrong person, guess what? That person don't get that vote. Okay? So it counts. It matters. And, and, and I know from personal experience that one vote counts in an election. Okay? Because I got that on the negative side of it. And uh, so one, one counts. Listen, in Isaiah chapter 51... Beginning in verse 1, listen, listen here what uh, God said to the children of Israel about Abraham. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness. You who seek the Lord, look to the rock from where you were hewn and to the hole of the pit from where you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone. When he called Abraham, he was alone. Other translation says, when I called him, he was one. But, he said, and I blessed him and increased him. If you, as that one person, don't feel like you can accomplish anything, if you'll commit that to God and understand that I'm going to do what God says for me to do if I'm the only one, and Abraham no doubt felt that way. He came out of a nation that were, that were all of them worshipped pagan gods, and, and none of them worshipped the true God. And, and even before, I believe, before God called Abraham, Abraham was dabbling in the worship of the moon god because that was the main thing in that day. But when God spoke to him, his whole attention went to Almighty God. And God called him. He was one. I'm one person. God called me. But, I, you know, I believe that God increases us when we put forth the effort and are willing to work and to move out with Him. Now, you know, you think about Time. Let's, let's just talk about time. A little time. There's that we need to think about. A century has ten decades. Y'all know what a decade is, don't you? Ten years. Okay, so there's ten decades in a century. Every year has 365 days or 12 months. Every day has 24 hours. Every hour care how you stretch it out, daylight savings time or whatever it may be, every hour has 60 minutes and every minute has 60 seconds. You say, well, what does that mean for us today? Well, it means this, that we are to make all the use of the time that we have now, regardless of how little a time that it may be. I know I said to Bradley back there before church this morning, we were talking about and I said, man, it just don't seem like I have enough time. But you know, in reality, that's not so. I have just as much time as my great, great, great granddaddy had every day. And my great, great, great granddaddy lived back in the 16 and 1700s. I have just as much time today, the same 24 hours, the same 60 minutes, the same 60 seconds that he had in his day. But in this day, it seemed like we've just, we, we're living so fast, we've, got, we've put too much into it to where we come down to where I just don't have enough time. Time is so little. In Ephesians chapter 1, uh, chapter 5, rather, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, 
In the, in the New King James, it says, See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Look here in the Amplified, it says, Look carefully then how you walk. Live purposefully and worthily and accurately, not as the unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people. And verse 16 in Amplified says, We'll have it. See? Time. All we need is a little time. Right? Look carefully. He said, making the very most of the time. Buying up each opportunity because the days are evil. Now, the word redeem here, and as you look at it, the word redeem means to rescue from loss. You know, we sometimes we think about wasting time. And there's people that do. You know, sometimes I, I think about how busy I am and, and how that uh, there's things I need to get done. And, and I've had a real busy week. And yesterday was just real busy with the fall festival. And let me say this too. I appreciate every one of y'all that came and helped with the fall festival. I want y'all to know I do. It was just... A pleasure to have you there. And uh, and then we were able to leave early and y'all got it back over here and everything cleaned up. And, and I thank you for that. I want y'all to know that's really a blessing to me because we did get to go see the band competition. And I, and uh, you think, well, that's wasted time, wasn't it? No, it wasn't because I got to see my grandchildren perform in the band. That's not. It's never wasted when you see something with your grandchildren. You always remember that. You know, if you don't have grandchildren... One day you will have, and time that you spend with your grandchildren, regardless of what it is, is never wasted time. But when we got back home, I told the reader, I said, I know i got a lot of stuff to do, but I'm not going to do anything. And I didn't. You say, well, you needed to rest. Well, true. But there's times that we feel like we need to rest too much. When you get to where you feel like you need to rest too much, Knowing that you really don't, but there's things you need to do, and it's so easy to use that for an excuse, we get then to where we're wasting time. Because, you know, really, when we're resting and we're sitting there, if we can stay awake, and that's the trouble I was having yesterday, man, I had my Bible out while I was sitting here relaxing, and I'd read a few verses, and then I'd wake up, and I'd read a few more verses. <laughs> and, and, but I was, I was using the time to the best I could. We need to make full use of the time. Our everyday moment, Thomas Jefferson, that, that wrote the Declaration of Independence and was, uh, he, he got up every day and he was so methodic in the things that he did every day. When he first rose every morning, he would spend time in prayer. He would spend time reading and he wasn't even really a pastor or a preacher. He just spent time reading. Sometimes he'd read the Bible. Sometimes he'd read other books. He would eat. And then his day was planned out every minute of the day. And you say, well, I just don't have time to do that kind of thing. Well, I understand that we don't. But folks, here, here's the thing about it. If we would begin to make some plans about how we're going to use our time, how much better we would be than to just take it as it comes. That's, and you see, that's our philosophy. Well, I'll just take it as it comes. Whatever. Case or sera, whatever will be, will be. And, you know, and, and let that be that. 
But we need to make in full use of our time. You know, there's, there's times that you say, well, I don't have opportunity to witness to some, anybody. What about the folks you eat lunch with at work? The folks you work around? The ones you're in school with? You know, we don't have to wait till an appointed day and time and hope maybe that they'll show up at church. Because I'm going to tell you something, folks. Hoping maybe people will show up at church don't always work. But so, so we need to take opportunity to help people know that, hey, we care for them. And you know, here, here's another thing, too. I've come to find out when it comes to churches, we're not in competition with other churches. And we're not in competition with each other as to how we live our life. Now, I'm competitive, and most of you are competitive. I, you know, I like to be at least up with everybody instead of, if not ahead, I don't like to be behind. But I'm not, I don't want to be competitive. If I need to walk behind, then I'll walk behind and, and, and move like that. But here's, here's something that, that we need to understand. We're a small church, but we don't have to have a small impact. We can have a large impact, and I thank God that we do. You know, I was thinking about this last night, that every one of you that came and helped, and, and this is by putting no one down, because we got other opportunities. we got the fall gathering, the community gathering, that we're going to need a lot of help with. So if you didn't get to come to the, to the uh, fall festival here in town, then you've got that Sunday afternoon that you can spend out there with us, and, and you can help affect people's lives. And I thought about this. Listen to me, you that helped yesterday. Every time you handed somebody a donut, a cup of coffee, a cup of hot chocolate, a bag of popcorn, a bottle of water, or a brochure, you were reaching out and ministering to people. You say, well, they won't remember that. But listen, if two people, let's just say if two people, out of all that came by there and, and ate up all those donuts and all that popcorn and, and drank all that water and coffee, if just two of those remember Hey, those folks showed me kindness. Do you see what you've done? You've affected somebody. You've redeemed the time. You've used the time. You used it wisely because here you are reaching out to people and helping people. And see, even though we may not be a big church, we can have a big effect on this area if we'll use our time right. And that's, that's things that we're trying to do is move out. That's the reason that, and, and some of you may have not been here on Wednesday night and heard this, but we're having, instead of having a church Christmas program where we have a play and all of that this year, we're having a Christmas banquet and we're inviting the police department and their families and some other folks to come in. And so here's an opportunity for all of us as a church to affect people that don't come to our church. You say, well, what are we going to do for people in our church? Oh, we'll still have us a big church supper the, the Sunday before Christmas. How does that sound? We'll have a big church supper, big fellowship time, and enjoy each other together. But we're, we take opportunities to reach out. And, and all the ministry that we do cannot be confined in this church. If we do, then this little church will never have a big effect on this community. So we want to reach out. Every way and every opportunity that we can in the schools and, and everywhere we go. Redeem the time. Make full use of every minute that we have and for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God. See, sometimes we get, we get bogged down in the future or, or looking to the future that we get, that we don't understand what's going on now. But here's another thing. Sometimes we get bogged down in what happened yesterday. 
and what's happening today that we don't understand there's a future. This is what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Or verse 13. Now, dear brothers, and 14, I have not achieved it. This is from the... But I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Can I tell you this? You may be thinking five, ten years down the road, fifteen years down the road, I'm going to retire. And that's good. I think it's fine to have plans for retirement. I really believe Barry does too. He, he sat back there shaking his head. After what he's been through the last two or three weeks at Kroger's, he, you're going to retire next week, aren't you, Barry? <laughs> if you could, you would. Is that what you say? But but you see, we, we look at that, and, and life is not about 10 or 15 years down the road because we got 10 or 15 years to live life one second, one minute, one hour, one day, one month, one year at a time until we get to that point. And so we look down the road and we make plans. As a matter of fact, i got plans to retire from pastoring in about nine more years. You say, man, you'll be old by then. Eh, maybe not. You know, y'all take good care of me, I won't be old. I'll still be doing good. But see, but I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for now. But I'm not letting what happened in the past. And there's been things that's happened in the past that have been good. There have been things that's happened in the past that's been bad. But folks, those bad things, those kind of things, are not what defines us. And I believe this is what Paul is saying here. All that stuff that's happened in the past don't define me. I'm defined on what I'm looking to, what I'm doing now, and where I'm going. That's what defines me. Not the past, but where I'm at today. Who I'm re- no, it's not the ones I failed to touch yesterday or last week. But now here's what defines me is the ones I'm trying to touch now. The, the people I'm trying to help now. The goals I'm trying to achieve now for the kingdom of God and to, and to bring glory and honor to His holy name. See, we, get, we, we need to realize how important time is. Here's just a, a little side note here. In the Olympics, or in any kind of a, a track meet, a fraction of a second can determine whether you're a winner or third place. Seconds. Seconds. How many football games have been won and lost in the last second of the game? Basketball, in the last tenth of a second, that three-pointer go through just as the clock runs out. Think about how many times that a ball game has been won when it's the bottom of the ninth and the, and the game is tied and it's a 3-2 count and here comes the last pitch that's going to determine who wins this ball game. Think about that. And that guy, if he strikes out on that last strike, he's missed it. And that one out of all those pitches in that game, that one pitch determined the outcome of that game. If he hit a home run, he wins. So what I'm saying is this, that we need to understand that every moment, every second of our life, we need to be doing everything that we can for the kingdom and the glory of God. Now let's come back to the little boy we talked about to begin with. Here in John chapter 6. See, this little boy, one thing we can see about him is he came prepared. He had his lunch with him. He didn't know how long this church service was going to last. Yeah, he didn't know how long this thing was going to take place. Or maybe, you know, he maybe he had brought his lunch not only 
And he thought, well, maybe they won't, there'll be somebody there that don't have a lunch. That's what I like my wife. Bless her heart. She, she thinks about everybody else. And she goes to the ball game a lot of times, especially when it's cold weather. she got this big old bag of blankets and things in case somebody forgets one. <laughs> and I was the Scrooge Friday. It was a little bit cold. And I told her, I said, look, there's no need of taking a bunch of blankets and lugging those things in there. I said, these are grown people that go to that ball game, and they can they got just as much opportunity to think as we do. And I say, I'm thinking wrong. Right? You say, well, no, that's right. Yeah, but that's not right. Sometimes right thinking in the situation may not be right overall. But anyway, I told her not to take them. And she didn't even need a blanket Friday night. So, so what I'm saying is this, this little boy, he, he came prepared. And he was not only looking at himself, but he was looking at other people. See, here's one way that we make use of our time. And this one way that little things count is that my life should not consist about just what will benefit me, but what will benefit somebody else. See, that's the Jesus attitude. Jesus said, I did not come for me. But he says, first of all, I came to glorify the Father. And then I came for you. Because I came to seek and save that which was lost. And then one time, he, he prayed a prayer at Lazarus' tomb. And he said, Father, I'm not praying this prayer for me, but I'm praying for this prayer for all of those that are around. Everyone that hears this prayer. So see, Jesus came not just for Himself, but what He could do for other people. And, and we need to get this kind of attitude about us. And, and I know it's so easy to think about me and my wife and my son and his wife, us four, no more. But folks, life is bigger than that. So here he come with his little lunch. So Jesus said to Philip, what are we going to feed him? And Philip's, now let's get a hold of this. Philip's looking at the big picture, big money. He said, what do you mean? 200, 200 pennies would not be enough to buy enough bread for this. Do you know that would be 200 days worth of work? Because in that day a wage was a penny. And, and so... But Jesus did that. He knew what He was going to do. See, Jesus knew the end of this thing. Wherever you are today, Jesus knows the end of it. What He's called you to do, He knows the end of it. Your obedience to Him, He knows the end of it. Jesus knew what He was going to do. So Andrew spoke up and said, Well, we've looked, we've took inventory, and all we could find was this one little boy. Now get a hold of that. Little boy. This lad, that lad means little boy. And all he has is five barley loaves. Now, let me talk, talk about that for a minute. Now, he's not talking about even loaves of bread like we go to the store and get here. Alright? What he's talking about is not much bigger than your fist is the way that they would make them in that day. And this little boy had five of them. You say, well, that's a lot for a little boy. Well, mind you, he, he might have been looking for his daddy to share with him. Who knows? So, anyway... Five barley loaves. Now get a hold of this. And, and, and I notice the other scriptures do not, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, does not say barley loaves. They just say five loaves. But here John says barley loaves. Is there an importance to that? Yes. Barley was a cheaper grain than wheat. It was a darker grain. It made darker bread. And it was usually only the poor people that was able to afford the barley. You remember in the book of Revelation 
where the, the third seal had opened and, and the rider on the black horse comes, got the scales in his hand. And he went out uh, proclaiming a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny, showing the difference in the price. And not only that, but I found out too that barley, that it not only used by the poor of the people, but it was also what they fed their animals. Now, it wasn't like what the prodigal son was about to eat in the hog pen. It was, it was way above that. What I'm saying is this. He didn't even have the best bread going. But he was willing to turn loose of what he had, these five barley loaves and two small fishes. And, it, and it, here in John, it, it, it designates they were small fishes. And some says they were about the size of sardines. That's what they were. They had been dried, they had been cured, and they were about the size of sardines. That's all they had. So Jesus, he brought it to Jesus, and Jesus said, tell the men to sit down, or tell them to sit down. And it was the green grass there. And I thought about, look here. Here's the shepherd about to supply their need to where they could go away and say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have no needs. And he had them to sit down and green pastures. Boy, that's just like Jesus, isn't it? They sat down. He blessed the bread and the fishes and broke it. He gave it to the disciples. The disciples gave it to the people and fed 5,000 men plus the women and children. Could have been as many as 10, 15, 20,000 people that they fed with five small loaves and two small fish. Think about that. How important little things are. Jesus can take your life regardless how insignificant you may feel, regardless of how little, how big, how young, how old, how rich, how poor, regardless. A life that's submitted to Him can do things, folks, that that cannot be touched by people that's trying to live their life on their own. I read, you know, people don't want to admit that this was a great miracle that Jesus did. And one commentator said that, it would not be unusual in that day for people to take out their lunch and share it with other people, and that's probably what happened so they would have enough to feed everybody. That's not what happened. Jesus took a little boy, and He took that little offering, and He multiplied it. Just like He did Abraham when He called him and he was alone, one But God blessed him, and God increased him, and he became a great and mighty nation. That little boy. I I, I wish the story would go and talk about what he did when he grew up. I don't know, maybe he was a fisherman, thinking, you know, I think what I need to do is fish and catch fish so that we can feed people. Maybe he became a baker, who knows? We don't know. Maybe he thought, well, you know, if five loaves can do that much, then I'm going to grow up, and I'm going to be a baker. And I'm going to affect people's lives with bread. He may have grew up and became a disciple. He may have grew up and became one of the great preachers of that day. Who knows what this little lad became. But before he became anything, he was a small boy willing to give what he had to Jesus. And Jesus took that. He redeemed the time. He took that and fed ten to 20,000 people. Now, we come down to this today. What are we doing in our life? 
What about your life? How important do you feel like your life is? Have you come to the point to where that, or you may even deal with this question, if I were to die, would people really miss me? You know, that's something you think about before you die. After you die, you don't think about that. I'm sure people's not sitting up in heaven today saying, well, I wonder if they really miss me. I'm sure that's not going on. But if you if you were to leave this earth today, what would they say at your funeral? What kind of accolades would they give at your memorial service? Who would miss you? Of course, your family. Well, what about people that you've affected out in life every day? And not only that, I read this article about the highest, one coach said the highest accolade that could be given to them is one of their players that they had coached to go on out in life and then when they get married, invite them to attend their wedding. Coach says, when that happens, I feel like I've really made accomplishment in somebody's life is when they invite me to their wedding. Now think about, think about that. Who are we touching? What are we doing? What are we doing with our little five loaves and two fishes that seems so insignificant? Like Andrew said, what is that among so many? What is What can I do among so many? What about our church? What can our church, small church, do among so big an area as Faultful in southeast Morgan County? What can we do? Well, folks, I'm telling you, we can do a lot when it's committed to Jesus. There's an old song that used to say, Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown, and you can win it when you go in Jesus' name. I want to encourage you this morning to take what you have. And just like the song that Jenny sang, Lord, into your hands I commit again. Take me, use me. I'll follow you. Wherever you go, I'll follow you. Who you love, I'll love. Where you stay, I'll stay. Who you serve, I'll serve. But Lord, take my five loaves and two fishes. And use it for your honor and your glory. Father.